0: Hello, and Welcome to the Makers Episode 5 podcast, where we talk all about building, breaking, and learning, 3D printing, CNCing, and all kinds of electrical soldering and burnt fingertips going on here. My name is Geek from PodNuts.com. You want to check out all the other shows on PodNuts.com, just go check them out. Send us emails, send us feedback, send us voicemails, 7076-PODNUT. Emails to this show are at themakers at PodNuts.com. We will repeat them again at the end of the show. Uh, We are joined this evening by Brett. How's everything going, man?
1: Doing pretty good. Uh, Talk about burnt fingers. I've broken quite a few things and tried to fix a bunch more, Um, but
0: doing pretty good. Well, I hope you were successful at the ladder, actually fixing this stuff.
1: Yeah, I. uh, well, for the most part, I've still got a... do a couple things on my uh, ft5 but i was able to finish a couple things uh video game controllers and uh just had a lot of fun this week so that's good
0: gotcha gotcha a real quick question about the ft5 it looks like a pretty competent printer uh what would you say was your build time on that printer
1: oh that one i would say it was about average it was 22 to 24 hours it was a long print time our long
0: uh, long build time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, uh, it definitely seems like a good printer, but that is uh, after effort and work. Uh, we're also joined this week by Aaron. How's everything going, man?
2: Good. Um, let's see. You know, just haven't been printing much this week, been kind of busy. Uh, what I did print uh, earlier this week was uh, some uh, Nerf rev triggers, uh, custom rev triggers, um those turned out really good um i did break something i'm not sure if that's 3d print related but earlier tonight i uh was uh, at the archery range and uh robin hooded uh, uh one of my arrows so you know other than that uh great day
0: gotcha gotcha uh well i'll say uh I I understand we all go through ebbs and flows of busy time printing and then not busy busy time printing. I'm sure it's going to come back around again any day now.
2: Oh yes, definitely. Uh, the summer, the summertime's very busy for me since I have uh, young, young children. And, uh, you know, unless I'm building something for them, it's
0: usually
2: go, go, go. Well,
0: I'm, I'm happy to hear you have children, but I also hope that you give them back sooner or later. Uh, we're also joined by um Chad. Uh how's everything going, man? Well, everything's going real good, Dor. Um
3: been real busy this week. Um last few days. I've been the printer's been running pretty much nonstop. Um decided to build another MPCNC. Um I've also been trying to build an Android app and been just doing a whole bunch of programming stuff and playing around with my clocks and different stuff too
0: yeah i saw another one of the clocks that you printed um and and i'm going to ask you publicly quote unquote just uh a so you remember it. i remember um let me know when you post pictures in the voxer chat that are okay for me to post to our instagram feed um for the for a future reference
3: well i'm going to say pretty much anything that you find suitable go ahead post it I'll leave that judgment up to you. <laughs>
0: gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I will say there's uh clocks. Uh, I, I am, I am genuinely impressed at the workmanship that I'm seeing coming out of that machine. Um, I will say uh, I do, I do know it I do believe. And I do see there are ways to make money with a 3d printer, but I have to believe there's even more money to be made with a proper working CNC rig.
3: Um.
0: <clears throat> Yeah,
3: I I don't know. There is, if you're artistic and you want to do stuff, there is money to be made, I think. Right now, I'm actually trying to build a smaller one that I can fit on a cart and bring to shows. um, Like arts and crafts shows and stuff like that. And do on-demand printing or cutting type stuff. I've got a few ideas and, um, I've actually got my father is really interested in it. So he's going to be financially backing me on that one. So he wants to see it done too. So that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I like your idea. You want to take this to shows and stuff and do printing and you don't need much. All you need is a couple inches by a couple inches in reality. But I know you and I know you're going to try to maximize that space. Um, uh, I there's a and I it's almost just going to sound insulting. The word is novelty. There's a novelty about it. When people see it, you're going to get their uh they're they're going to want to walk up to you and see what is that? What are you doing? How are you doing that? Can you do this? And then, you know, that's going to just be I, I think a fantastic uh
3: hook. Well, that's what I want. I want to draw them in with the novelty. You know, the little kid walks by sees me sees the machine going that's pretty cool right i want him or her or whatever parent whatever to see that and then spend some time talking to me and looking at stuff you know and we could talk about custom stuff you know that's what i'm thinking could be the end result of it
0: very cool very cool uh we're also joined by rich this week hey rich did you uh build break or learn at all this week
4: Hmm. You know, I, I've been kind of slow on the 3D printing, but I, I kicked the thing today. I'm like, all right, I'm finally going to lay out the build plate because I I had a need for something. I built, I I kind of did a derivative, a, a custom customization of a DSLR shoulder rig. And they were using, I think it was like 15 millimeter aluminum, uh, which is just tough to find. I'm like, well, a half inch uh, electrical conduit is... Three dollars and change for 10 feet and that's basically 18 millimeters so I just open up the whole scale a couple of things boom I'll get it to work and I made one I sent it to my uh, nephew and I found I had a need for one so I'm printing one right now and I'm watching it through the octoprint live feed as we're talking and in the build plate that I'm doing it, 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 kind of shocking to me it says one oh, it just ticked down it was saying two days at the beginning of our conversation here now it says 1.5 days it, it probably should be finished by the morning because it printed like a large area. Now it's printing a smaller area as it gets taller. But uh, the brake part was um, I the spool holder I'm going with right now. It's not like a shaft through the spool uh, kind of thing. It's the spool rides on two bars that have wheels on it. And uh, a whole bunch of filament got out. And as the print head moved, it kind of caught around the frame of the 3D printer, and it not only pulled the belt out, I don't know, is that the Y belt that the uh, print head goes across? And it pulled pulled on the belt, and it also yanked the filament out, so the thing was moving and kind of herky I'm like, what the heck happened here? And then I you know, fixed that and got to printing again, and I didn't have the bed level, so I, I threw down my topic as firmware in auto bed leveling. So I want to talk about that a little bit later. And as always, you can see my social media and stuff like that at flyingrich.com.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, we're also joined by um, by um, Jonas. Uh, you, I'm going to guess you've been really busy this week, Jonas, because I haven't heard a lot from you. And I'm going to say publicly something else. I swear I'm going to get your filament shipped out this week.
5: Okay, no worries. I have plenty of filament to use.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Did you uh, spend any time this week building, breaking, or learning?
5: I have been printing some things. um, Not really breaking anything. Learned a bit about Onshape more. Talk about that a little bit later. And I just today started working on a paid 3D printing job.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, And I will encourage everyone right now, before we get to his topic, go to, I believe it's cad.onshape.com. Register for a free, um, free um, login, uh, and you know just go in, log in, and poke around as you listen. Onshape, I think, is pretty impressive. Uh, we're also joined by Liam down there in the stars at night are big and bright in Texas. Uh, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm doing. Um,
6: it's been warm. I uh, got home tonight about seven to seven-ish, let's say, walk into the garage. I've got my A-Net set up in there now, um, which is broken, so we'll call that my break. And uh, I've got a thermometer, hygrometer sitting next to it, and it said 95 point something or another. So it, it's been a little warm.
0: Yeah, t- uh, t- today it said the actual temperature was 89, but it felt like 98. And I got to tell you, every time I stepped out my work's uh doorway i just wanted to turn around and actually walk back in the building yeah
6: but i mean that's work you don't want to walk back in there do you
0: oh no absolutely not never 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 ever ever um i will say i did do more than a little bit of building and breaking and learning this week oh two things i want to do and now i actually have the motivation to do it because i'm realizing i've been printing stuff and i have not kept at all a active log of what i'm printing so my logic is I'm going to create at least a Twitter account uh, called uh, something like the maker's uh, uh, builds, and then I'm going to figure out how to do an automatic if this, then that um, bouncer to where anytime we want to post something that we print, all we have to do is bookmark it with a certain little squiggly words, and it will automatically post to the public feeds things that we print. Um because we need i need to keep track of what i'm printing from week to week i don't want to say i printed something and it turns out i printed it last week um
4: well if you set a push bullet on your octoprint you got a log of
0: all of it well first off you need a working octoprint
4: i know Uh, this guy he does a podcast on many pcs and he's really good about this stuff
0: oh yeah i know but it something go boom i don't understand it um I took my Raspberry Pi 3 that I literally bought like the day it came out. It's been through a lot of stuff, I'm going to say. So maybe there's some kind of hardware failure, failure going on. I'm not sure. I installed the genuine Octoprint um, image to the card, booted up, uh, taken to the garage. Um, the walls between where I'm at in the garage are not concrete. They're not stone, There's and there's no steel beams that I know of. Um, it's The uh, Pi to me was maybe... 15, 20 feet away at the most with the built in Wi Fi module. It would only connect every couple boots. And then when it would connect, it would only stay connected for maybe five minutes. So I got a third party Wi Fi dongle, put it on it, rebooted it. And now, after that, every three to five reboots, it would connect using that dongle and not the internal don- dongle. And then it would only stay connected for like a day. And then, what I found out was after a day or so, it would literally uh, stop Wi Fi connectivity. And then I'm guessing it had to get rid of the buffer. And then, under an hour later, if it was printing, it would just cease, stop, not respond, and not do anything. So I pulled the Pi out, finally had time tonight, installed Diet Pi on it. Uh, when Diet Pi has what you need on it, it is maybe the most glorious. Mini computing distribution there is just because of its simplicity of initialization, initialization setup and, um, you know, to get things going. But on the website, it said Octoprint was available. I go through all the software listings multiple times. I make sure everything's updated and of course change my password. Um, I can't find Octoprint. So I just sent a tweet to DietPi underscore. That's the official diet maintainer himself. So I, I asked him about it. Hopefully I'll have an answer soon. And then I'll have a fully functioning o- Octoprint.
4: I'm shocked. He didn't get back to you already.
0: Uh, he could have. I muted my phone. I literally sent it out five minutes, 10 minutes before we started podcasting. Um, Cause that's how that's the amount of time I had to play with it. Um, We printed a lot of stuff. We had a multitude of failures and then just a little side note. I got, unbelievably upset i was listening to a podcast geek rant with mark cockerel he's also the host of android app addicts and one of his co-hosts said to mark well, I know mark you're going to get a 3d printer soon and you know with those things all you got to do is design once and then you push it out to your printer and then it comes out perfect <laughs> i i <laughs> i completely like lost my mind so when i talked to mark on thursday night i i demanded he scolded him publicly For speaking on something he obviously has no experience on
4: yeah a 3d printer is not like your xerox
0: yeah i mean um, there's so many little finer points that go into the end product uh unless you have and and, and this this is why i said to mark unless you have a good amount of experience underneath your belt um you really don't have i think a good idea of how good it's going to come out but then it doesn't matter there's always something that can go wrong. You could have a bad piece of uh, filament come out and cause a clog or um, a, a, a power cycle. I mean, all kinds of little things that I don't even know about can go wrong to make a print fail. So even if you think it's going to come out perfect, there's no guarantee whatsoever. And um, sorry, Brett.
1: I'll attest to uh, having a problem with uh, filament. I got some uh, filament from a local store and boy, will I... It it probably clogged three of the four prints that I did with it and clogged enough to where I had to take the entire extruder apart. Um, So I won't be using that filament anymore.
0: That does not sound fun whatsoever. Maybe educational, but definitely not fun.
1: Educational for for sure, but uh, no, not fun.
0: So um, I'm going to try to make sure in the notes, maybe uh to at least have a link to uh, two of the things that i successfully printed one of them is called what well, my son calls a infinity cube um it's essentially a, a block of eight cubes together in such a fashion that when you, you you can basically infinitely fold it in certain directions and it will just keep going it keeps like folding it into itself and he loves the thing um I know my son printed at least one more thing, and then I have the uh, ongoing project that he's been printing, where it literally was just a download, so it's not like he designed it. It's a quite complex um, print. Uh, it, It was split into two halves and then eight separate parts. Each half took over 10 hours. We did have one fail in the second time, uh, second part, we, we tried to print. And we were talking uh, in the box, we talking back and forth, and it looks like I might have a re, a retraction I- I- issue, if I remember. Um, the gimmick is it was a curved surface being printed. And when it got to the end of one of the peaks, it would want to jump to like the other peak or jump to the middle of the print to start printing again. And when it made that jump, sometimes a strand of filament would follow it and be there and uh that's what i'm thinking caused my spaghettification.
6: yeah definitely possible um you need to get yourself a camera out there on it so you can do some time lapse and kind of watch things so you can see where it actually failed to kind of help tune that in a little bit better but yeah um if you're not failing you're not printing
3: well that's true um <clears throat> just thinking about that door it could be that I know you're using ZealTech, right? Um, I've had the same problem, but I've accommodated the problem by telling my slicer that it's oversized filament because I've had where it fills in too much filament, and when the head slides across, it hits the little nubs. So it might not be retraction,
0: it might be that you're just pushing out too much filament. That's right. I completely forgot you said that, uh, which is going to um, uh, uh, force me to, in a good way, uh, to go into my slicer program and now basically, basically create a second custom profile. My logic is that um, uh, one custom profile for at least the silver ZealTech I'm printing, and then one for the black ZealTech I'm, I'm printing. It seems like I, I'm having less of these kinds of issues when I print with the silver more when I print with the black. One thing that Liam suggests that I did with my black was I lowered my uh, hot end temperature from 215 I believe now it's all the way down to 185 um, and I do think I'm getting overall better results.
6: Yeah I was gonna suggest checking the temperature. Um, the picture you sent even though it was vague and you you're still you know you haven't told us what you're making yet um, it, it looks like it's very thin and each layer is going to be very quick to begin with. So it could just be that when it's making that turn at the peak, that it's just doesn't have enough time to cool properly. And so it's switching directions and it's curling up just a little bit so that as the extruder comes back, it's it's catching it and uh, slowly peeling it up and then finally breaking it free. And then, you know, spaghetti monster.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Now that you said can be, I don't want to say corrected for, but it can be, addressed is what I want to use in Kira. There was something about a uh, minimum or maximum time. Yeah. Minimum layer time. I believe,
6: I think it's Kira that lets you lift head for weight, I think is the verbiage. So you tell it 10 seconds per layer minimum. If it doesn't meet that 10 seconds with just the standard printing, it will then lift the head or go off the, the print a little bit wait for that time, and then resume. Um, Another way people get around this kind of stuff is they'll print a sacrificial column off to one side. So it it prints the brittle thing and then jumps over to the column, and then the slicer's going to have it go back and start in a more appropriate area by putting that um, sacrificial column in.
0: Uh Ah, okay. I will say I like the idea of both of them. Both of them I extremely like. The only negative about both of them is it's then going to extend my print time out, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Well, with the sacrificial column, make sure that's if you ever try it, make sure it's of a size that isn't too brittle because if you lose, if you break it because you're sliding across it, um, then you just got all this filament oozing out of your extruder at high levels and it's just going to end up causing you more problems down the road. Um, I would look at, yes, your retraction and... um, There also is a setting for when it moves in rapid. It it moves outside of the print what it's printing the print area, so it won't hit, it won't go over where you've already printed, in case there is high spots.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll say in here at least most of these options we're talking about are underneath the cooling section. uh right now I have my minimum layer time set to fifteen. Um, And just a super quick side note, this is the kind of thing that I honestly like, because it's to a degree fascinating how take different people with different experiences, tell them what's going on, and it's very possible you can get completely different answers that all could see a positive impact on your ending printer. So in reality, it could be a little bit of both. It could be a bunch of different things colluding together to cause this one type of issue to come out. And I do think from my experience, the type of printer printing, the size of the printer printing, the shape of the printer printing can then bring out or hide certain types of issues you can have with your printer.
3: Yeah. Um, well, Exactly, like what I give you for an example may work and also what Liam gives you may have worked and combined, they may not work. You know, it's it's all in exactly what you're printing and what you're trying to get out of it and it's experience. You're going to know, give you six months down the road, these aren't going to be issues. And Liam had mentioned that, one time in the Voxer chat that uh, wouldn't it have been nice uh, along the lines of wouldn't it have been nice if we didn't have to struggle through all these things, you know, but I appreciate and enjoy helping all people not so they don't have to spend the six hours on Google trying to figure out the problem, you know.
2: You know, that, but that's what makes it fun. I mean, spending half your day trying to figure out a problem, (laughs) and then going, "Oh, that's all it was," or, "Oh, I didn't try that. Let's try that. Oh, did that work?" You know. I mean, there's so many crazy, like like you were saying, Chad, options that you can try that possibly could be that issue, and end up either not being the issue or you fix the issue, or you make, you know, make it worse even. But that's what makes it awesome.
3: Well, and along the lines of the trying things, it may not help that situation, but you may find that it help may help something down the road. You put that in the back of your memory, and when you have another problem, oh, wait. That seemed to have gotten better when I tried this, but it didn't help that other problem, but it might help this problem. So trying things does help you out, and you just need to remember, you're going to have failed prints. You're just going to have them.
6: Yeah, um, just because you have a failed print doesn't mean you need to go start troubleshooting everything. Just go back to your calibration cube or try reprinting it. See how the first layer goes down. Um, Don't immediately go to just changing everything up. Just take a step back, take a breather, look through your notes or your flow sheet for troubleshooting. Um, Just don't overreact because it's easy to get into that habit and uh, start changing things that are only going to make it worse.
0: Oh, yeah, I'll say absolutely. The first thing is walk away. Don't just jump. Two, my computer uh, experience tells me only change one thing at a time. Or else you will literally have no clue on whether, like Chad said, one of them could have worked, but then since you did them together, now it's not going to work. And then you're never quite sure which one of those things actually had the impact.
4: Yeah, and and just my my second problem, after uh, the filament got caught around, I got it printing, but my bed wasn't level. So seven-eighths of the bed, I'm printing across almost the entire bed, is printing fine. But that last eighth of the bed, you know, almost nothing came out. And then the nozzle jammed. So, you know, now I'm working a nozzle jam and a bed level issue. And, uh, you know, Liam, uh, you said this last week. uh, We're talking about uh, restarting a print. So part of my first layer didn't go down so good on a larger object, like a almost a four inch by four inch square object. And I... I quick on the fly bed leveled. I didn't even pause the print and uh push some filament through the nozzle and got it going again.
0: That sounds like uh changing an airplane engine while flying.
4: Kinda like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean don't don't be afraid to mess with it well, when it's it, it already gonna be failing. Yeah it,
4: yeah, it was already
0: ruined. You know? Very cool, very cool. Uh we're gonna jump into the first topic here. Aaron wanted to talk about calibrate extruder and tuning your prints things that have helped me uh, t- uh, t- tell us what you're talking about man. Uh,
2: well what I was talking about was that you know the issues where you can either feel and it, it could have been the same thing you were dealing with uh, where your filament was you know when it connects to the corners or whatever you, you feel like you're getting stringing you feel like you're getting a uh, you know, too much, um, too much extruding. Uh, maybe not enough. Uh, you also need to look at uh, calibrating your extruder, um, especially when you first get it. You may it may work for you for a while, and then down the road, you uh, might want to try this out. So, what you uh, should do start with is. Um, Go in to, or go to your uh, extruder and uh, at the top, um, it de- depending on uh, how you have the filament going into, um, you need to have it so it's bare filament and take your calipers and measure out from the, you know, some, some general point that you're going to measure from and uh, measure out 100 uh, millimeters take a Sharpie and mark that off. Then go into, and of course this would work better if somebody had an Octoprint, but I mean, you could go and load, um, you know, plug in your laptop and uh, uh, use your, uh, um, oh, what's that program? The
1: Uh, Arduino. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interface. Yes. Yes.
2: Thank you, and uh, plug that in, and what you're going to do is extrude uh, 100, let's see, what is it? It's uh, 100, no, 10 millimeters? I,
6: no, I mean, 100. you can do it with any calculation, but the, kind of the standard is you you mark off 100 or 120, depending on no, how far. it
2: is, 120. How far 100. it was in
6: the extruder, yeah, and then yeah, send yeah, through yeah. 100.
2: And then yeah, send through a hundred, and um, hit OK. Watch it push out what it thinks is a hundred. Then you take your calipers again, measure what's left over from you know your original top there um, to your Sharpie mark. And most of the time, like I when I did mine, it was that Sharpie mark was long gone. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's where you go and you have to measure it all over again and only extrude, you know, I don't know, you know, a, a lesser amount to where you can figure out that once you use your uh, calipers and measure out how much you were supposed to have left over, and that you take that and you, um, what is it, you times... I. I had the link up here.
6: Yeah, we can we can find a uh, calculator and put it in the notes.
2: Should have been on top of that more. Um, you measure it out, and you type in a certain uh, equation, and it'll give you what you should be, you know, plus or minus what you should have. And then you go into your interface and go... To configure, what was it? You go into the interface where you can uh, edit your um, steps and your uh, extruder amount, and it should be, you know, if if it's right on, it should be close to what you uh, what you can, you know, your your measurements at. If not, then you type in the um, the proper amount. Yep, right here. Uh, Liam put in the notes, uh, the perfect uh, YouTube guide for calibrating the extruder. And uh, since I literally
6: botched it up, trying to explain it. So so why would we care about the E-steps? I mean, it's off 20%. What's, what difference is it going to make?
2: Well, it's going to make you huge t- when it comes to you messing with your um, extruder or excuse me when you're messing with your uh, uh, loading up your file and um, loading it into your slicer and trying to set up all your settings. If your settings, if you're typing in settings that you think is going to fix your issue or that you're wanting, well if they're if your extruder's not right, you're going to get a bad print. You're going to have not enough um, proper infill or not enough um, layer-to-layer contact or, you know, maybe you're going to have too much and it's going to be oozing all over the place um, from point A to point B. So every time it stops, it's going to be putting out more filament or less filament, depending on how bad, uh, that calibration was.
6: So <laughs> has anybody dealt with this directly here?
1: Yeah. Um, actually I've dealt with it within the last week. Um, I changed to an E3D, uh, Titan Arrow extruder, which by the way is an awesome extruder, but, uh, you know, me not reading all of the directions. Um, I looked into, I started printing without calibrating the E steps, um, the printer came out, uh, as I'm looking at a picture here, uh, about half is, about less than half, half as wide. And, uh, and it, it just came out horrible. It wasn't nearly enough, um, nearly enough extruding. So I had to go through the entire steps of, uh, of marking it with the, with the calipers and, you know, printing out, going through actually a, um, plug-in for Octoprint that Liam had showed me that let me change the E-steps on the fly, which was really nice. So I was able to do that, and eventually, after a few times, I was able
0: to get it working. Okay, really quick. I don't want to slow this conversation down because, honestly, this is really good stuff. What is an E-step? So
6: E-steps, it's your extruder steps. So you have E-steps, you have X, X and Y, Z. So it's how many steps in the motor terms. So, um, your motor is going to have a step number, 200 steps, 400 steps, whatever it is per revolution. And so that's the defined amount that it can move and hold. Um, you're going to have full steps, half steps, micro stepping, all that. But the main thing is the steps. So you take that step number, uh, you're able to calculate how far things are moving either in the X, Y, Z or your extrusions, um, from the extruder but it's just calibrating that number so that um, what they set up at the factory matches the real world because uh, you're going to have some differences with hob gearing, depending on what's on there, um, how big that is, how small it is. So you, you it's generally going to be close in the firmware if you've, if you're building something from a guide or following a directions, but it's still good to go in and get it as close as you can and, um, when you did yours Brett did did you use like the wiki or did you just kind of tune it in by hand and and settle in on a specific number
1: i actually uh i found a video of someone actually uh post uh doing the same extruder and i used his uh um, i used close to his number to get a base and then i just hand tuned it fine tuning it just from there which i ended up i think uh my original was 100 the the original set was 100 i ended up at like 457 458 so it was way different
0: okay um now i'm going to guess right where the filament catches and where i'm guessing it's being pushed through the rest of the tube to the extruder that is the place where it. this is the step this is where the step happens this is where the The movement happens where you're going to measure. Right. You measure
6: as it enters the extruder, whether it's a Bowdoin or direct drive.
0: Okay. This is something I'll tell you guys right now. This is another thing that I literally had no clue even existed. And the only way I can compare this in my head to anything in the real world, this is like tweaking the carburetor on your car. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where, you know, the actual. Fuel is going in, and you want to make sure that there's, you know, the right combination air fuel in the carburetor. And in this, you want to make sure that when it thinks it's pulling in a millimeter, it's not pulling in a, middle, a um, millimeter point one or three quarters of a um, that millimeter. The closer you can get to that level of accuracy, now I, I'll say I understand how that can have an instant direct and dramatic effect on your prints.
6: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's very much similar to stoichiometry Um, you, you also can tune your XYZ though. That doesn't tend to need to be done. I've, I've got five printers now. I haven't had to do it on any of them. They're all within a percent of, I mean, they're all within the, the error of the crappy calipers I've got as far as the calibration and test cubes go.
1: Yeah, the the uh, the the carburetor reference is actually perfect because you know you have a little too much. It's getting that perfect uh, uh, ratio, um, whether it be the 13.7 air to fuel or the 100 millimeters spinning out 100 millimeters. It's basically the same thing.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And it does look like this software that I really—I mean, I'm really bad at pronouncing software. This is that. Um, how do you pronounce this again? Uh, the Ponterface? Ponterface. That name, oh, okay, Ponterface. Okay, this Ponterface software, I will say, it looks like you can get for uh, Windows, Macs, and Linux. Uh, you can also clone it from a Git repo and get stuff up and running, and it's even in the Arch Linux repo. So you can run it on anything and everything. I will say this is the kind of software, though, Looking at the interface, oh, you better have some hand holding. Is my logic. This does not look like uh, extremely intuitive software unless you're already pretty, uh, pretty um, um, experienced in this kind of thing. Uh, You know,
6: it's not as bad as it looks. It it looks it looks like a GeoCities designed (laughs) program, but the first thing ever print. Hell, no, that's not true. The first thing ever printed via tethered was through pronterface and it, it wasn't horrible.
3: But it could be. <laughs> well, Proctorface isn't that bad, once you know what it's doing. It isn't that bad, but I've been printing for a while, and I've never done a calibration on any of this stuff. I just look at my prints, and I don't know. I'm a little... The whole calibration thing is kind of on the fly for me. So, everybody does everything different, though. So... Don't think just because you're doing it a different way that it's not okay, you know?
2: Well, and I think, you know, looking at all the new printers that are out, the CR-10, uh, FT-5 even, um, and uh, just all of them, I think that this, uh, when it comes to calibrating extruder, is not really n- needed much anymore. I mean, to be honest with you, I needed to use it when i was uh when you know i was setting up my wanho uh, i3 but i didn't use it on the ft5 not until like brett said he got a new extruder and um that's the only time you need to do it because that was part of the instructions uh because you know your extruder it's for a general uh type of uh printer so you could you know, it goes in so many different printers, you're going to have to calibrate it to get it working with your printer properly. And I think other than going with an aftermarket extruder, that uh, most of these new printers uh, nowadays really don't need that. You know, it's you're able to just, you know, get up and running, home it, you know, throw your filament in, make some adjustments, you're good to go.
3: Yeah. And if you don't want, if your your printer doesn't allow the changing of the EEPROM, which is your your saved uh, offsets and stuff, um, I found for extruder stuff, you can change your like in Kira, you can just change your filament size. It allows for like there's each filament's a different size so if you calibrate to one size of filament when you run another another brand of filament you may have the same same issue where you feel that you need to calibrate for that oh my extruder isn't working it may just be that your filament is larger by percentage than another filament and i know that is true with Zealtech is more true to size than other filaments i've ran so i just bump it up 0.01 uh you know instead of 1.75 i bump it to 1.76 and i know that is going to give me a good print you know yeah going
6: uh back to the e-steps i on the five i have i've I've changed it on three of them. Only one of them really needed it. The other two was just eh, nitpicky. Let's do something with this thing to make it print tighter, I guess. And it was the FT5 when I went from the stock to the um, Titan. The Titan has a three-to-one gear reduction, so you have to go in and change these steps. And the E-steps that they list on their wiki was dead on for me. Um, I ended up having to go in and retune it, and I thought my E-steps were off, so I, I fought that for a long time. And then I realized the firmware I had loaded up on my FT5 was not EEPROM-savable. So I had to re-upload that. But other than that little issue, yeah, it's kind of a set it and forget it thing. Um, me and Chad have talked about the, the flow rate versus filament size. And I think I'm on his side now, uh, mostly just because the mathing is more accurate. Um, on uh, the flow rate, for most machines, your your minimum increment's going to be one percent, either up or down. Whereas with the filament size going in and changing it from one seven five up or down one point is a uh, more granular change. So you're more easily able to tune it in. And then if you're keeping a um, if you're keeping a library of filaments and you do it per filament, well then it's even that much better for you.
0: Okay, give me one second here. I'll take on Chad was right okay got it um oh you got that new notes
3: there, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it
3: happens every once in a while
0: um and okay, he, I honestly i really like the fact that aaron said on at least the newer printers the default stuff you really don't have to worry about this of course it can't hurt to run it kind of thing is, is my logic um i'm going to guess it's even more true when you get one of those all-in-one pre-built pretty, I, I think of them as being pretty printers because they are, you know, they come in just one box, you open the box, you pull it out, you're, and then you're just ready to print. I'm going to guess on those, especially the ones that are like $1,000 or more, this might be even less needed unless you replace your extruder. Yeah, I would
6: definitely say so. And I think that's another uh, gimmick or tick in the box for selling, oh, you have to use our branded filament because we're controlling it front to back so that we know the proper extrusions and the size of this filament versus that extruder to give you the best results
3: yeah there's that in manufacturing quality tolerances um, if it's a cheap chinese knockoff their tolerances may be that eh, looks okay you know and it could be way off you know that um, the extruder cog could be much smaller or much larger you know it doesn't take much you know if it's 20,000 difference in size you know or even they're knurled so if the knurler even went in too deep then you get a difference in the actual size of the gear that's driving it so on your higher end stuff they hold their manufacturing tolerances better on the cheaper stuff. Yeah, it looks okay. Let's let it go.
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to the extruder gear itself, I've found that if you go with one of the knurled ones that is, um, saddle cut. So it's, it's, uh, it's rounded like the filament and then it has a very fine pitch tooth. You get less variation overall across all of them versus the kind of standard Mark 6, Mark 7, Mark 8, um, heavy toothed gears that will dig in deeper or less deep based upon the uh, hardness of the filament. So that's that's something that it's I, I think it's a worthwhile um, upgrade.
3: Well, on all that, quality is the key to whether you want to mess around with calibrating or not. If you don't want to mess around with quality, Calibrating and doing all the other stuff. Buy a higher-end system. You have less calibration. You you like to tinker around, and you want to save some money. You go with the cheaper stuff, and you play with the problems.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, some was said too. You know, you're talking about. Uh, proprietary uh, filaments that only can be used with certain, you know, that specific machine. Uh, There was uh, one that uh, the company I work for uh, happened to purchase for their engineering department, uh, the Cube, what was it, the Cube Pro Plus. Um, And I guess, according to what I heard, uh, they went out of business about a month ago. Surprise, surprise.
0: Okay, um, here's the good news, Aaron. If we did not complete all of the things you have in the notes, you have now good stuff for next week because this, we're here. I mean, I understand uncompletely when we get an email stating it's like a fire hose. Your one topic, I think, is going to cover more detailed, useful information for the new 3D printer than probably most other people's complete, like, episodal content.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, too bad I couldn't explain it right. I was having one of those moments tonight, so I'm glad everybody uh, helped me out because uh, obviously I couldn't uh, do it.
0: Well, no, 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 that's why we're not doing a solo podcast here, Aaron. <laughs> I would fail. I, 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 my, me would be ridiculous. I would just be stumbling over myself the entire show. Um, the next link in the note uh, is here from Liam. About uh, some quick tips. Yeah.
6: um, So I've mentioned in the past how I don't want to paint. And I don't want to finish prints. And I like to design so that each separate color is a separate part. But when you got to go find colors and you need, I don't know, you need need a little bit of skin color because you're going to print a head for like a Dilbert. You don't want to buy a whole damn kilo, right? I mean, this isn't Miami. I don't need a whole kilo. Um, Maybe I just need... Couple grams, um, so samples. Dime bag. <laughs> you you can get you can get filament samples pretty easily. But what I've done and I really like is the uh, Proto Paradigm. They do a five dollar roll. It's uh, two hundred grams, five dollars. They have I think one ninety nine or two ninety nine shipping on their orders, no matter how much you order. Went over there, picked up all the different colors I needed for multiple projects. And anytime I need a just a little bit of a color, they're my go-to. Great, great company. Good filament, prints nice. Um, and there's a there's a ton of uh spool holders that you can print out from Thingiverse that work well with those spools as well.
0: Yeah, I believe it's two ninety nine, Liam. Dude, this is I don't want to say this is genius because this is gonna that might you know inflate their head. This is really good. I really really like the idea of this. And they have plenty of um single rolls for 5 bucks, but they also have six packs for $28. So you you can save a little bit of money if you order a six pack and you get a pretty good assortment of colors there pre-set up for their sets of colors. Um I cannot see myself not buying some of this because this is genius. I mean A, I I can just see what colors would come out. B, the likelihood of me needing a complete roll for a specific thing is extremely low. Most of the prints that I, at least I see I'm doing, one of these rolls might be completely enough for. Well, uh,
6: 200 grams goes quite a ways, Uh, especially if you're, I mean, you're not printing high infill stuff or you're printing stuff that's been designed to not need infill or just stuff in general. I mean... Plastic's pretty light. You, you can go a long way with it. Um, but I mean just a good selection of color. And yeah, it's it's more per kilo than something like Eson or Zealtech. But it's less because you're not gonna have this $30 spool sitting around for a year and a half till you use it up. It's it's two hundred grams, it's five bucks. Just just get the whole set and be done with it. Um I did email them and got a nice email back. I said, Hey, you guys need to, you know, get on my mini factory get a hold of some good, nice prints that that are separated out by color and sell packages that that include, hey, this is the STL that goes with this pack of filament. Um, This is enough to print X amount of this model. And they said they were actually going to look into doing that.
3: Wow, that's a great idea. I never even thought about that. That's a great way to sell those small packs. Nice one, Liam. Yeah, so
0: I, I'm not going to give you a compliment, but... Yeah, okay, that's okay. okay. Yeah, um,
3: nobody should.
0: Um,
4: I, I agree. Nobody
0: should. I am going to say, though, now, I like... Part of me likes having things that I know I'm going to print. Now, I know something else I'm going to have to print. I'm going to have to print a spool holder, because me going to buy some of this, because this is genius.
3: Yeah, print a good one. I printed out some of the not-so-good ones, and yeah... They're not great. So Um, find a full clip on one that holds it well. Well,
2: you would I found a really good one I'll uh, have to send
0: you. Well, I would think in the description of this or somewhere on their website, they would have a big flashing link to here's a good print to print for the spool holder because it looks like at least the majority of the ones I'm looking at, you're going to need it. They do and they
3: don't. The one they suggest is just this little clip-in thing, or at least they used to, because I have a bunch of the five-dollar filaments too, um, and that is horrible. It is. They fall. It falls off. It. It's just horrible. Wait. Um. I haven't ran a lot of it again now because the filament holder is just the the insert, because all they do is um. <laughs> they print out this weird little holder that doesn't last very long because it's just not that high of quality and then they suggest this weird little clip-in thing that breaks the filament it's it's not great so um what i would suggest is finding one that you can actually just clip off that weird little plastic holder that it comes with and goes on to a regular spool or something because that holder they come with is horrible.
6: Yeah, um, the one they come with, it would do in a pinch, but I think I see it really more as of a way to hold a sample of filament together um, the best one I found was a screw together, and it, it screwed in place over the existing one, so you could still store them on the ones they ship with. And then you just screwed this around the sides, and that has been great. I'll, I'll find a link for it and get it put up so we have it in the notes.
2: Yeah, I think that's the one uh, uh, I found as well, if I remember right, Liam. Yeah, it screws to that current hole and kind of pinches it in place and uh, just works great with those uh, those filament holders.
3: Yeah, because the one they suggest is horrible um, unless they've changed their suggestion because they suggest this weird little clip-in thing that only holds it from one side and it tends to fall off and then breaks the filament because they just wind filament and ugh, it's just horrible.
0: Hey, well, um, here comes the obvious door question. Um, how do you pronounce this website? Paradigm. Proto Paradigm. Thank you very much. I'm sitting there looking at it, and the brain just doesn't compute. This is great. This is the kind of thing I really do encourage people, uh, bookmark it, keep it in your thing. When you have a couple extra bucks sitting around, go ahead and buy a couple of these. I mean, they, they, they will find a use, I will say. Um, they also have uh, stuff like gift 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 sir gift certificates. So if somebody you know just got a 3D printer, you might want to buy them a gift certificate here just so they can see this kind of thing and get some decent filament. Um the one thing I will say I do like uh they actually have education and military discounts advertised. Uh you in my mind you get a lot of uh uh uh, uh points in my book when you do that.
3: And a big thing is to check back every once in a while cuz they will do if you buy a pack of the or whatever filament pack, you know, the autumn or the summer or whatever colors they got in their packs, they'll send those free shipping sometimes. So keep an eye on it.
5: Yeah, sometimes you'll also find a couple other eBayers that will have small samples, and I found as cheap as $8. I don't remember what shipping I paid, but if you want to get something that's color change or um, transparent or glow-in-the-dark some weird thing you want to try and see how it works. Small spools are excellent for that. And you can just roll them up on whatever extra spool you got laying around if you really need to.
6: And if you've if you've got other makers or printers in your area, find out what they need. And maybe you guys can go in on a test spool of, you know, uh, whatever the current fad filament is, whether it's glow-in-the-dark, UV, carbon fiber, just something you want to try but you maybe don't want an entire spool of. That's another way to do that if you've if you've got uh meat puppets around you that you can meet with
3: and there is the possibility if you've got a local maker making filament like i do about 40 miles from me there is somebody that makes filament and they have uh switch over colors so like they don't drain their Pellets out, but they just throw in the next color, and they sell the switchover filament really cheap. If it's just for whatever, you can take, you can find that sometimes. Usually, that's on a local type deal, but you can find them.
2: Man, that sounds awesome.
3: (laughs) Yeah, my local, the one that is local, is fairly expensive even for their switchover stuff since i found the zeal tech stuff and if anybody out there has found really good filament that you know email us let us know you know we're a lot of us like checking out new filaments so let us know
0: very cool very cool uh very great link this is definitely going in the back pocket and i might order uh something tonight just because i like having it um uh uh Jonas, you have uh, more than a couple things in the notes. Uh, It looks like most of it at least seems to be on-shape related. Uh, So tell us what's going on here.
5: Uh, Just a couple of quick links. One is I did that uh, PID auto-tune on the CR10 last week, and um, I did change my settings just a little bit. Uh, On this machine, you probably have to reflash the the ROM on it to get it to keep the settings because it didn't save it when I turned the power off. But Tom Solanderer, the uh, YouTube 3D print guy, I'll put a link in the show notes here, um, he has a real quick video on how to do that. Basically, you go to Pronterface or um, Octoprint into the the command line interface they have there, and you type in a G-code, and the printer goes and does its um, auto-test, and it spits out some numbers to you and you just take those numbers and plug them into your printer. Uh, you've got to know where to go to see that, and usually it's in the, um, in the control, I don't believe it's in prepare menu, but in the Marlin firmware anyway. It's um, one of the top couple areas, and if you scroll down far enough, you'll see a P, an I, and a D number there, and that's what that stuff is about. And basically what that is, is that's setting the temperature, um, I guess ramp up, and how often it measures, and how quickly it changes your temperature from what it is now to what it is what it thinks it's going to be, because basically your printer is turning on and off your your heater rapidly in succession to get it to the right temperature, and that's the uh, the extruder head, not the uh, the bed, and so that's your printer heater hot end profile, and um, some firmware will stop printing if it goes below a certain level, and those numbers should be set up correctly. Usually, they're set up correctly from the uh, manufacturer. But, um, something to check, and one more thing to tune up if you want to tune stuff in your printer. Um, <clears throat> there's another one, the rest of this stuff is on shape related, and I've, I've been looking at on shape a little more. And again, Tom Salander has a really good live walkthrough, kind of like when he does his live printer builds, it's a real-time tutorial on how to create just a cable management part in Onshape. And he goes from the very basic beginning of how to draw what they call the sketch, which is the base for most parts, and uh, what you need to do to line things up, how to get the patterns that you draw to connect to each other, how to extrude them out to be a 3D thing and every step in between and he also goes through about halfway through he'll design another part and he'll go back and show you how to do it a different way so he'll do the same thing create the same part with two different procedures so you can actually know how to do a couple of different things in Onshape and you're probably gonna have to watch the video a couple of times it's probably an hour and a half or a couple hours um, to really remember because there's so many different steps you can do. But that's a really, really good resource. There's also another link in the show notes for general tutorials from Onshape themselves, which that link, you should watch all of those um, before starting to run those um, procedures. Um, It'll keep you from being confused confused when you're actually using the Onshape program. And it's a free... um, or public saved projects kind of website. So you can pay thousands of dollars per month to have private projects that you can't share to the public or don't want to share to the public. Or if you use it for free, everything you use for free, you've got to make publicly available so other people on Onshape can see what you're designing and work off of your models as well. They have a really good model sharing program where you can actually watch in real time what someone else is working on. So if doors working on something on shape and he sends me a link to his account a little square will pop up in my account that I can click on and see exactly what he's doing um, so you can kind of show a little hand of um, kinda like team viewer kind of thing where you can show someone what you're doing as you're doing it so that's a really good tool um let's see oh the other thing there was uh You can actually add parts, what they call parts, which are basically 3D models of other things in reality. So you can open up and add catalogs to your Onshape account that are free catalogs of 3D parts that you can work with. So you can add these parts to your models so they have circuit boards, they have motors. If you know the model number of your particular DC motor and you want to fit that into a model, you can import. This catalog of parts, and they also have um, like ANSI specs for any kind of screw or washer or little piece of hardware you would want to use. So if you want to design something mechanical, obviously that's good for that. Or if you just want to get the perfect screw hole for when you're printing something 3D that is, you know, printing with 0.1 accuracy on the layer height, and you want a screw hole already dialed in with the screw pattern in there without you having to tap it. Um, you can do that, basically, with that tool. Yeah, and yeah. then i then I found... Sorry, I,
0: I, I was just going to say uh, Onshape, to me, is one of those unbelievably polished tools, yet unbelievably, um, I don't want to say easy, but simple to grasp. And, yeah, the amount of content I've found on Onshape is amazing.
5: Yeah, and actually just today I learned last night how to join two planes with a surface um, and that's called lofting and on shape and that's really neat because I had someone that wanted to make a cone mold you know a, a mold in the shape of a cone so basically you take one plane and create it in this 3D space and then you know 45 millimeters to the right you create another parallel plane you draw a shape on each plane and then you can join those two planes together with on shape there's a little you know icon tool you click that you say where do you want it to go from and to you click those two parts and it will join those together and you've got a solid 3d object really super quick and you can with the lofting you can do that with multiple planes so if you add you know six planes if you think of the old model airplanes where you Take tissue paper and you build the frame, the skeleton of the plane, out of balsa wood, and then you wrap it with paper. It's basically like that. You every rib is a plane, and then you basically on shape will wrap that plane or, around those ribs, so you have a complete solid shape of whatever those ribs are shaped as.
6: Yeah, that's the same in uh, Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty. They they call that lofting as well, and it's the same function. Um, the back on the PID auto tuning. Um, that's the kind of thing you'd want to do if you're changing out, um, hot ends, obviously, um, your thermistor, if you've upgraded or changed your fan, your cooling fan, you might want to do it then as well. And then you can also run the auto tune on your heat bed as well. I know that's probably less important being that it's such a large thermal mass to begin with. You would just change it. I think it's to E negative one on the, uh, setup. Or, or running the, the auto-tune there.
5: Yeah, and that's exactly what I had done. I had, I switched from the stock CR10 hot end to one of those E3Ds and that's why I did that. Now I remember, thanks for reminding me of that. So then the next thing I found actually today, I was looking at Volcano stuff and I came across this website, which is also a GitHub project. So you could take what's on this website download it and install it on your own web page and use it separately or privately or whatever. But basically, go anywhere on Google Maps and right-click on the location and click on the selection that says, What's Here? And that'll show you little latitude and longitude numbers. You take those two numbers, go back to this website and plug it in, and you can make a 3D cutout. It'll the, the website will put a little square over that spot on the map, and you can resize the square and move it around and things like that to pick out what spot you want. It'll make a STL file out of that three D spot on the map that you can print. Ah,
6: that's, that's awesome. That's
5: nice. So that was fun. I of course grabbed a Hawaii map and I made a volcano map and fun stuff like that. So
4: that's all I have for this week. I three D printed a map of
0: Florida. I'm uh, going to go to my house.
5: You can also, I found out, you can also just use the map that's on that uh, terrain to stl website. And uh, if you click the Center on Location button in the Location tab on the right, it'll put the red square in the center of your map view, and it'll clip out that part of the map as well. So you don't have to go to Google Maps and type it in, but you can, you know, scroll out scroll around the map like you would on Google Maps and also just click that button and it'll, it'll grab the the location there too
0: This is genius. This, this this is something I don't know who did it, I don't know how they did it. I don't this to me is the kind of thing that if somebody doesn't throw money at this guy to do work, I I I, I don't know what's wrong.
3: So on that Turing to STL does it it just gives you What you? I guess I don't understand what's going on. Maybe I'm dumb. I don't know.
0: Probably. No, no. You remember back in school, top, top a topo, topo graphical maps that you could feel the bumps, feel the mountains, feel the valleys, kind of thing, kind of thing in 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 actual 3D. So that's what this gives you the the like uh, power to do. So you could go to the Grand Canyon, for instance, and make a square over top the Grand Canyon. Save it as an STL, print it out, and then you would have a like an accurate to scale representation of the Grand Canyon.
3: Oh, I get you. Okay, it's <laughs> all right. Yeah, like, if you, like if you took a cookie
5: cutter over the top of the Earth at any point, and it cookie, cookie cookie cutters out that spot, and you can reprint that or do whatever you want with an STL from that. All
3: right. So I live in North Dakota, so that's all going to be flat. It's going to be one level. So. <laughs> It makes well, it really You different. should just
2: put your house in the middle. You can just put your house in the middle and you'll be fine.
3: No, it, it now that I understand it, it seems really cool. At first I was like, What?
0: <laughs> very cool, very cool. Yeah. And um on shape is the kind of thing. I think the hardest thing about on shape, at least to me being a complete noob, is just figuring out the correct terms. And that's just, you know, time repetition looking up. And the on shape tutorials I found to be Really good. Um, that Tom video, let me tell you something. That's a two-hour video where it's two hours, not because it takes him two hours to do it. It takes him two hours because he stops every couple seconds and explains ex- exactly what he's doing uh, on like every single step. So you know, both of those are links. If you want to use All in Shape, I highly encourage you to devote some time to that. And I'm sure your development time will uh, go down a whole lot.
3: And I tell you, if you want to use Onshape, it's great because you can get help from other people that are actually designers too Um, or people that know 3D printing. Um, And if you get on Onshape and you need some help, contact us. I mean, I'm willing to take a look at anybody's stuff and help them out if if I can. I've eh, fairly know it a little bit, (laughs) but yeah.
5: They just recently added um, tool pathing, so you can do CNC stuff there too. So you, just like you add a a parts catalog, you can add a component that will um, run your tool paths for CNC cutting, and you can export that as G-code.
3: Oh, Onshape is trying as hard as they can to compete with fusion 360 and all these other companies. And you know what? They're almost got them beat out just because it's on any device. Anything that's got a web browser can run it. That's what I like. So like if I get an idea at work on my break, I can just go to my phone and start sketching it out, get it all like rough sketched out. When I get home, go to my computer and play with it there.
0: Very cool, very cool. Uh next topic round, we have uh Rich about uh firmware upgrades and some stuff. Yeah, so
4: okay, I have the ANET A eight what is it? Is it ANET A eight something three I three? So it's the Prusa clone. Um the good thing about it is you know, there's a lot of support for a lot of uh, you know uh mods for it. And you can update the firmware. So I, I updated the Marlin firmware. And really, what people do is, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed about that. This because probably five months ago I bought the sensor to, uh and it's eight dollars. It's not a whole lot of money. I haven't done it yet. I'm probably going to do it in the next couple of days. Is and flash the firmware, install the sensor. I did flash the firmware, and. Uh, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. I mostly uh, use the printer with Octoprint, so uh, the firmware typically isn't a factor in that. But the I was very hesitant to flash it because I, I'm not familiar with the Arduino as much as I'm familiar with other, you know, mini PC or microcontroller-type devices. And it really was no big deal. The, the big thing was I did need a PC, so... Uh, my wife is the PC holdout in the family. She she still has a PC laptop. So I was able to load the software on that, plug it in, and flash the firmware. And it went pretty easy. Um, Not a big deal on compiling. Like uh, As a software developer, the word compile kind of gives you chills sometimes. Um, Not a big deal. And there are just a few values I, I needed to change uh, for my configuration. And there's videos online to walk you through it. And realistically, to re to install, I, I just got to solder up, uh, like some pull up, pull down resistors for the, and I think a voltage divider for the uh, sensor, and uh, then flash the firmware again and test it. But I I don't like the term auto bed leveling. And realistically, a lot of the problems I've had have been because I'm printing and every all the prints go good. All the prints go good. All the prints go good, and then something happens. My bed isn't level, and the print is just horrific. Uh, you know, I don't get a good first layer. Typically, is what happens, or you know, you get a nozzle jam because the nozzle's just gouging along the bed, and I I have tape and glue on the bed, so that'll foul the nozzle. So the um the the fix is to do the auto bed leveling, but you're not leveling the bed what you are and you know the bed leveling is is a false term the bed doesn't adjust it would be bed leveling if the bed leveled but the bed doesn't level what it does is it makes the printer print parallel to the plane of the bed and it makes adjustments for that as opposed to the bed leveling itself but that if you if you have a printer and the option for an auto bed leveler, get it or install it because you're going to be much happier. It's going to avoid a lot of the a lot of the pain.
0: Well, really quick. First, uh, upgrading firmware. What are some reasons why someone should up- upgrade their firmware or should look at it?
4: Well, I think the other guys probably can give a better talk about that. Uh, it might be that the firmware you have doesn't have features that you want. In my case, um, one of the things I added, but it wasn't really a firmware thing. It was really an Octoprint thing. Say you have a board and it has extra pinouts, and you could do like a filament runout sensor. So it'll stop the printer when it detects that there's no more filament. Uh, I did that with Octoprint, but there are some boards that you can do that. So that might be a reason to update the
0: firmware gotcha gotcha and yeah it's the bed leveling thing it's leveling the bed in respect to the print nozzle it's making sure that it's directly correct perpendicular Mm -hmm. very cool um yeah i will say i am completely unaware of arduino everything um that's the reason why i haven't upgraded my firmware yet because i literally don't have one um and i really don't like the idea of buying one just. To upgrade the printer. When,
4: when you say buying one, have one, you meant a PC, right?
0: I meant a Arduino or something running Windows.
4: Oh, your printer. Yeah, you you can't just plug a PC in and update it.
0: Uh, I don't know.
6: No, you've got to flash a bootloader. And then, for instance, our printer, the CR-10, um, it, it definitely could do with a uh, firmware upgrade so that you can then save EPROM and it will maintain after a reboot because that's quite annoying.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean it's one of the things I know I'm going to end up doing, but right now I'm not stressed because uh, I'm not going into the printer, not making any changes as of yet. I'm sure as soon as I start doing that, I'm going to feel the itch. Very cool. Uh, and then I'll figure out which one to uh, buy uh, to do it. Um, we have a uh, Chad wants to do some more uh, talking here about uh, some tools, I believe?
3: Um, yeah, it just uh, the auto bed leveling is not the end-all to be able to save your leveling of your print. Um, you still need to <laughs> get your bed level. Um, what it does is it creates a... A plane off of what it probes, and it creates a plane an imaginary plane of your level of your bed, but it only in at least the firmware that I have only can do so much and I found that out this week <laughs> um, i haven 't touched my bed leveling for months, and I had to actually go in and re level my bed because It was off so much that the bed leveling will only do within one millimeter of correction. And I was off a millimeter or more. So it was giving me these weird, crazy dragging. It was dragging the printhead across it and all this stuff and whatnot. So without a bed leveling, you still need to level your bed the best you can. What it does is it corrects for those small little imperfections in your bed. So you still need to bed level. That's a very important thing. And then I guess another thing is that I had in the notes was um, the Fusion 360. Um, when it generates tool pathing, and stuff like that, it's all done through the graphics card and not so much your processor. It's all done in the graphics end of it. So a graphics card is very important if you want to speed up your Fusion 360. I think last week I was talking about how, how Fusion 360 can take a long time to process some of the um, tool pathing. And that's because I'm using an older computer that has a very generic graphics card. Talk to a friend. He's got a good computer that's got high-end gaming graphics card, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I don't even know. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I sent him the file. Yeah, his took a few minutes to do where mine took almost 20 minutes to do, you know. So that's a if you're running into issues with fusion 360 crashing it's lots of times it's because your graphics card your graphics can't compute it as fast as it would expect it to come back and then another little point is i think we're all guys in our little group here i I don't i don't want to suggest that it's just guys listening to this but i think one of our one of my biggest problems in 3D printing and just making is this stuff isn't IKEA furniture, really. It's you need to read directions. We we all love to skip over directions, just look at the pictures. But yeah, we, we this. <laughs> really should read directions because I, I know when I post something up to Thingiverse or whatever, I try to give directions on whatever. If there's something you need to orient it in a special way or you need supports or you don't need supports or whatever. I think we tend to just look at the picture. And, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, whatever. We can make that. And we throw it on our printer and we try it and whatever. But... Sometimes there is some good information in directions, um, especially on Thingiverse. That's where you're going to find out if the guys actually printed it or not. Lots of times you'll find out, oh, yeah, this is just a design. I haven't tried to print it yet. It's just something I thought was cool as a design, you know. So I know that I have failed a lot of prints because I didn't read the directions. And I think we just, as a group or in a whole... Everybody, read the directions.
0: <laughs> are, are you talking to me, man?
3: No, 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 no. What Not, about me? Yes, yes, you, yes. Okay, just that me. explains no, it. No, I'm just playing with you. No, but <laughs> I think there has been conversations between us where it's like, what's well, in the directions? Because you know? I
0: think
1: you're talking about me. No, nah, he's talking about me more. I I don't want to
3: point
6: fingers. Oh, I got, I got ten of them. I'll point them all over the place we've all done that
3: no and and at least two of them are going to point back at me
0: you know so Uh, i'll just say i know for a fact at least on two of the things i printed if 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 i would have just spent 30 seconds and looked at a little blurb i would have found out that like one of the things i tried to print i tried to print like four times liam said what the hell are you doing you can't print this thing, read it. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, this isn't made for my kind of device whatsoever.
3: Right, and I think we've all done that. I've done it. I have failed prints. I can show you a box of failed prints just because I didn't read the instructions, you know? It's it's a guy thing, I think, mostly. Well,
0: and what I would really like is if there was, now this is more work for everyone posting content, so it probably won't happen. I would like it if there were certain things that, Uh, uh, during the entry process of a new item that you could highlight as like operating instructions because a lot of the time the blurb is just a blurb. Well, I made this when I was visiting the coast of France and I got inspired when I looked down and I saw a group of ants flocking around a crumb of bread. I I I don't care about that stuff. But then you read a little bit further and then you find out, oh, he's telling you I should do this, 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 and this. Wanna do the print to you know, to like get the most optimum print out of it. Um it would be nice if they could highlight it. He wants
3: you to read his story. Everybody's got a story. They want you to know. No. You're oh, right. I love bread. There is. There <laughs> there is a need for that. Um, actual build build description rather than just the description and the story that people tell on Thingiverse, you know? There is that problem, yeah
0: gotcha gotcha and and i'm going to do better i'm not doing better yet but i will do better
3: no that's why we're here Dor. that's that's the fun of this too is that we get to help you but there's also like this whole i don't want to be a jerk about it but it's like i had to search on youtube and google for hours to figure that out you know and Dor just gets to ask us come on No, I'm just
0: playing, just playing. Oh, And and I want to go back to also the video card thing really quick. Okay, I absolutely understand, you know, GTX 1532X whatever video card would, should increase performance in all these kinds of graphically heavy applications. What I'm going to say is stability. For stability's sake on my Linux rigs, I only run Intel graphics because I know they're designed, they're implemented using completely open code. So I have very, very few issues with everything in, in uh, my Linux experience. The only time I seem to have weird bugs and weird things happening in my interface is when it turns out, Oh, this has an ATI graphics card or all oh, this has an Intel graphics card in it. Um, I'll say, luckily, thankfully, 360 is a Windows thing. On if, if if I was running a Windows rig, I don't think I would ever run Intel graphics. I'm pretty sure I would run something. And 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 it's just like if you want to play a game at a high frame rate with good resolution, you need a better video card. And there is a different class. There's to me, there's three classes of video cards. There's onboard video cards. Then there's business class video cards and then there's gamer class video cards and i've seen more than a couple laptops with business class video cards in it when you load modeling type software it runs really really good
1: i actually have a uh um i believe nvidia's version of that is the quadro um it's um a four gig i mean this is in a rig that is You know, very good, 40 gigs of RAM, like I've told you guys, um, 8-core Xeon processor. But for some reason, I'm having a problem with the uh, video card where my uh, Fusion 360 and my uh, Simplify 3D will just freeze up. You know, and I can't figure out what it is, but I'm starting to lean towards the software itself because the graphics card should be able to handle way more than that
3: yeah that may be fusion 360 is not um built for that driver or whatever because it uses uh cuda cores or something i can't remember what it is but it's really similar to the way that blender and stuff um uses graphics to uh do all its mesh rendering and stuff um that is a big deal with fuser 360 it's a graphics heavy um system that's why i'm starting to think that i might start playing with uh on a little more because it's all web based so what's nice is if it's got to render something or it's got to process something it offloads it to a server or whatever, and it does it offline and then just sends you the file. That's kind of nice.
0: Yeah, a very good advantage, I'll say, to using web-based applications versus locally installed apps. Um, Okay, we're going to go to Brett's uh, topic here, which on the fly dynamically has changed, I think actually twice now during the show. Um, Side note, we have a list of notes uh moving forward everyone puts a topic in in the future what we're going to do is whoever enters a topic is uh the first person to enter a topic their name becomes first in the list and then the next person to enter a topic their name becomes second in the list so that is a uh so that gives a little bit of um a plus to the person who first entered the topic will be the person to talk about that topic yeah, um, sounds like a plan. Yeah. Um, so sorry, Brett. But uh, but but you very um, very n- nimbly adjusted on the fly, and now you want to talk about uh, some of the some of the things that you did.
1: Yeah. Um, what I really wanted to, do, uh, what I was kind of looking towards was uh, troubleshooting. But troubleshooting was taken care of by you know everyone else. So my thing is retro gaming. I uh, I did a uh, I started a little cabinet-making thing about uh, six months ago. Still haven't finished my first one. Um, but I started doing the actual retro gaming with uh, with RetroPie, um, the Raspberry Pi 3, even the Raspberry Pi Zero in a uh, controller. And it's really fun. Um, I need to get a little bit of a uh, image software set up for the um, for the games and stuff that way I'm not downloading any uh, RetroPie on Mac and and uploading it on to Windows and downloading it onto Linux I need to find a better way of uh, doing everything but you know personally I really think that as far as being a, a maker and everything just 3D printing these cases where you can look at this case that looks just like uh, an old NES, um, an SNES, or even print it into a controller. I think it's really fun and really interesting to be able to do.
0: Yeah, uh, to me, this is the kind of thing that I think everybody, uh, at least at one point in time, uh, 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 at least people of a certain age, look at think about and drool over the idea of doing this um the only my only hang up with doing these kind of things so far is the size of them and the level of detail required to do them i think is a little bit higher though i am going to do one of these sooner or later hopefully sooner uh but i'm pretty sure what i'm going to first start on is what's called a bar top kind of thing where it's definitely bigger bulkier more room inside more uh, space to do things. I think would be a little bit of an easier project. What uh, you you have a link to the the uh, link in the um, the notes is to what's called a Pi Boy Advanced, which I gotta say, unbelievably good looking device.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's what it is. Is it's basically um, a remake of an old original Game Boy with a color screen, um, backlit screen, an actual amp for the volume. For the uh, uh, speaker, it's got uh, two extra buttons. It's it uses a um, SNS um, controller to build the buttons on top of. So you have the X Y B A, along with two. Uh, I believe this one has two um, triggers on the left and right. But I mean, it's a it's a really nice little setup and. You know, it looks like it can be a lot of fun. I haven't ordered the parts yet, but I've been looking into building a couple of them and just having fun with them, you know. Just, you know, I, I work for a uh, a little garage where their their base thing was they wanted a bar top to have customers come in, and when they're, you know, when the customers are sitting waiting for their car, they could, you know, play an old game. But, uh I set him up with a controller that had a uh, that has Ness and that has a Raspberry Pi Zero in it, and you know we've already gotten a couple people wanting to buy them. So I mean that's that's really cool. But uh, it's just stuff like this, bringing back old stuff with new technology, is really something that I like to do, and I I find very interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, the only I. The only trick gimmick thing about doing this as a business is you have to find a way to basically like sell them in your shop, but never mention ROMs, never mention anything like that. And then have a guy like standing out in front of the, uh, of your door. And when the person walks out with a device, have some guy who you don't pay stand there and go, Hey, psst, psst, but, but do you want to know how to get games on that thing? Because you can't distribute the ROMs. Now there is band where, where it's, more question it's more legal than illegal but it's still in a questionable like status and then there is certain things that you can distribute completely free but those are not the games that anybody is thinking about playing when they look at these kinds of kinds of things they're always looking for you know whether it be a mario game pac-man game or something to that effect so the trick is to figure out what's the correct legal mechanism to have the buyer informed in, in such a way where it, they, they can safely acquire these things if they so desire.
1: Yeah, and that's that's been my worry a little well a lot actually, is not only finding ways for people to legally get you know the abandonedware is something that I'm going to probably ship with them um some of the but like you said, I can't do anything about ROMs. But having, you know, like some sort of I don't know, game dealer. Um you know, I it's it's really iffy, but, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of iffy things about, you know, some of the stuff. But uh I think just as an entertainment fun game thing it'd be fun. But you're right, people are gonna want to do the Nintendo games? They're gonna want to do the, you know, the the real quote-unquote real games.
0: Yeah, and I'm sh- and I'm sure there's some kind of middle ground that is obtainable. Um, like hey you know, uh, I keep thinking there's websites out there where in the browser you can run these games as well, and maybe somehow have on the device a direct link to those because you're not. You know, there's no downloading of ROMs in those, but uh, I'm sure their performance will not be as well.
1: Yeah, and there is a thing called NetPlay that you can do on RetroPie that I think mimics that, which, you know, might be an option, might be a way to, you know, get around the red tape, but it's, it's iffy, but I still love the idea enough to mess around with it.
0: Right, I'm pretty sure the NetPlay thing is actually... Uh like hypothetically I start up I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh I start up a game of Tecmo Bowl. You start up a game of Tecmo Bowl. You're in California, I'm in Maryland. We do a net play, remotely connect one player and two player, and we play the same game. It's ah uh,
1: yeah, I haven't uh I haven't uh I haven't looked into it, but that's what I haven't looked into it very much, but but I think you're right, that is what that's what it
0: is. And and I've never tried it. It's one of those things I think is really interesting, but it cannot work great in my logic unless you're in the same like area, the same room, the same network.
1: Yeah, with especially with uh the Pi, you know, not I, I can't see it, you know, being like a uh modern warfare or uh Call of Duty type thing
0: gotcha gotcha very cool um okay I think we went through a lot of topics here guys is there any uh thing that sprung to mind or that you would like to talk about okay um well I definitely thank everyone for coming out I thank everyone for their support uh don't forget go to uponus.com check out all the other shows I guarantee you'll find at least one that you like um and we will definitely talk to everyone in about a week